1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.TV podcast network. My name is Alan Jackson. I am the co-director and co-founder of the Foot Candle Film Society out here in western North Carolina, United States. With me across the table is the other co- in the co-director, co-founder of the Foot Candle Film Society and the annual Foot Candle Film Festival, Chris Fry. Chris, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing well. I'm looking forward to kind of... Yeah, putting a bow on 2020. We are in 2021, but just kind of wrapping up 2020. Well, the way this
1: normally works, we normally have a few weeks grace time after the end of a calendar year to still officially recap the year. And that's what we're going to do for the calendar year 2020, the year that we hope we'll never have to refer back to again or anytime soon. The year that saw us only enter a movie theater for like the first two months of the year, I believe, if I remember correctly. I'm gonna put you on the spot real quick. Yeah. yeah. What was the last movie you saw in the movie theater? Last movie I, think I may saw. Have mentioned
2: this before in the show, but we're recapping the year, so last do I do
1: movie I saw in the movie theater. I know which one it was for me. Um, it was not a really uh, impressive film to go see. I don't believe. Well, no, I take that back. I, I did see, the last one I saw in the movie theater was uh, Olympic Dreams. Okay. We showed for a foot candle. Screening. Did you see
2: that before or after we saw Invisible Man for the podcast?
1: I saw the Invisible Man before I saw Olympic Dreams. Okay. So Olympic Dreams was officially the last, the last time I was in the movie okay. theater. Yes.
2: Because I think I'll have to look back at the dates, but I think I actually saw Invisible Man with Elizabeth You Moss. might have saw
1: it, but I went to go see it pretty early on in its run. Okay. So yeah, okay. I think that was it. So yes, it has been quite the year. Yeah. I'm not really that eager to talk much about the year, but let's go ahead and get through this podcast recording and then we can be done with it. Put it to bed. Move on.
2: Okay. Crazy prediction too. Yeah. That, you know, we're doing, so we're looking back on 2020, but let's do a crazy mm. look forward into 2021. Yes. Alan, let's pretend all the movies that are scheduled to come out yes. are going to come out. Yes. And it will be safe to see them at the theater. What is going to be predict? And you know, just cause, cause it's fun. What's going to be the first movie you see in the theater in 2021? Go.
1: Hmm. <laughs>
2: so let me recap for people: the movies that have you know, in theory, there's French Dispatch, there's Dune, there's, um, gosh, what are the ones that just? I think um, No Time to Die has been moved, it's but it's still coming again. out. But it's still coming I, out.
1: I would like to see Dune in the movie theater. That may be the one that gets me out there okay, to go to the movie theater, depending on when it releases. Sure. That's the whole thing is that we, <laughs> we just don't know yeah. when they're actually going <laughs> to eventually come out. Right. Um, there is one movie I will be talking about in our news section that, okay. You know what? If movie theaters are deemed safe about the time that this, uh, this rolls out, which I don't think they will be quite yet, but I would not mind seeing this particular film on the big screen, but you're going to have to wait till the news section to hear me talk about that one.
2: Um, I I, see, I'm hoping Dune, I'm going to predict that Dune is going to be the one that's going to draw me out. So same as you. Yeah, yeah, it would be, it would be
1: nice to see. So I agree. I agree. Well, what we're going to do today is recap in 2020. And what we are has been our tradition the last several years is Chris and I both will be naming our top five films of 2020. Now, I need a caveat on here. And just to remind everybody, I did not see as many films in 2020 as I normally do. I'm normally a pretty avid moviegoer to the theater. Of course, I did not get to go to the theater for about nine or 10 months of the year. In my online options, I'll admit we're a little limited. I also went through a a house move and managing a business during a pandemic, all that. So I didn't really get to watch as many films as I would like. So these are the top five of the films I saw. (laughs) So So you're not just going to
2: rate a film based on what everybody else has been saying. You're actually going to admit... These are the ones I saw. These are the ones I saw. Okay.
1: And here's the top five of the ones I saw. (laughs) Okay. Because there's a lot of critically acclaimed films, you're probably going to rattle off some of them that I have just not seen yet. And you're not throwing
2: in like 2019 or 2018 films. So These are all 2020. These are truly released (laughs) 2020 films. You're not going to say like, you know... The Last Jedi is my number one film.
1: of. (laughs) I mean, you know, not to say I didn't watch it again in 2020, but I guess I can't qualify that as a 2020 release. So we're going to do our top five. Chris and I both have our top five. We're also going to mention our biggest disappointment of 2020 film wise and our biggest surprise of the year. Then after we go through and recap 2020, we'll move on to a couple of news items about some upcoming projects or films we are interested in uh, seeing in the future. And then, as always, we wrap up our show with a recommendation. Chris and I both give a film recommendation, something we think is worth checking out if you're so inclined. So, Chris, with that, are you ready to put a button in a bow on 2020 and push it out the door? Yes. Let's Great. do it. Here we go with our top five of 2020. Chris, how about if uh, let's go back and forth order sure. with our number five pick? What is your number five film of the year 2020?
2: So this falls into the category of, I don't think many people have been able to see it yet because I think it actually gets its premiere in February. Um, I'm talking about Nomadland by Mm. Chloe Zhao. Um, I got a Critics Link, thankfully, uh, in late December, and I was able to watch it early. So it has hit film festivals, so a lot of film critic people have seen it. But it'll come out on VOD. I think they're going to end up doing that. We're kind of trying to hold it to see if they could put it in theaters, but nope, it's probably going to go VOD and maybe a select theaters. But that's going to be happening in February. Um, maybe mid-February or early February, not really sure. But No Bad Land is a woman in her 60s, embarks on a journey through the Western United States after losing everything in the Great Recession, living as a van-dwelling modern-day nomad. So she just doesn't really have a home and drives around. She does do some work to get a little bit of money at Amazon. But other than that, she's just kind of on the road, living out on her own. Um, this is directed by Chloe Zhao, who Alan and I reviewed her movie The Rider* previously. Um, she really has a good handle on how to shoot landscapes and how to also take um, non-actors and have them just talk about their lives, but structure it in a narrative that's interesting. I will say Frances McDormand is the star of this film, and obviously she is an actress and she is not um, – driving around in a van you know that's not how she normally lives um but there are some people in this film there's linda may there's swanky and i think there's one other guy i forget his name but um you can tell swanky just kind of a random name but that is somebody who was an actual nomad that she encounters and has some you know discussions with Mm. um but it's just really fascinating and i guess also kind of Made you miss being outside and traveling because this movie does have her driving around a lot in a van, going from place to place, kind of wondering, you know, where her life's going. Um, and you kind of wonder how any film is ever made that kind of follows that loose documentary, but not really documentary, kind of wandering film style narrative, independent film that doesn't have Frances McDormand in it because she just really brings everything together. And you. Not to say you ever lose sight that it's Frances McDormand, but she is so natural and seems like she really is friends with all these people that are Mm -hmm. in this film. And, and you know, they're not actors. So they're just like responding to how open she is. And it's just, I don't know. It's really something interesting to do or interesting to see. It's a really great Frances McDormand performance. Um, so Nomadland, that's my
1: number five. And that's the first on your list that I have not seen yet. Uh, I've got a feeling there may be three or four more of those <laughs> as you go through it. Um, speaking of Frances McDormand, it just caught back up with one of my favorites, almost famous uh, oh. over the weekend. And uh, yeah, she is, she's good. She's a keeper and uh, really excited to see this film. I do have the screener link as well, so I'm hoping to still be able to see it. Uh, or catch it when it comes out officially in February. Great. Good pick. Uh, my number five, uh, we talked about it on the show, which is going to be a common theme with a lot of my picks here. Okay. Uh, Defy Bloods by Spike Lee. This is a film that has stuck with me. You know how some films you can watch, and maybe they have some impact on you after you finish watching the film, but then you're still thinking about them or recalling moments of the film okay. weeks later. That's been Defy Five Bloods for me. I have... Uh, thought back to this film a lot. I've actually gone back and watched certain moments again. Um, I think it's not perfect. It is a little shaggy. It's a little sloppy at times. Uh, I think some passages midway and towards the end kind of get a little repetitive and go on a little too long. But I think overall the intent of the film, the story of the film and the acting uh, that we follow on our main characters kept me in, in grace the whole time. So it's one that I've kind of gone back to. Uh, Chadwick Bozeman, I think very good. Unfortunately, one of his, one of his final performances, Delroy Lindo, again, such a powerhouse in this. And it's a, sure. it's a role, it's a performance that grows over time. Like when it starts out, you think he's just playing a stereotypical side character in this little group. And then his role really elevates as the film goes along. And, uh, of course, you know, bringing in Spike Lee's own uh, political beliefs and some of his, uh. Um, beliefs on society kind of in pers- personified in these characters that we're following. Um, I think it was great and plus a lot more violent and bloody than I expected it to be. So there's a lot of surprises going into it, but it really has stuck with me. So that's my number five film of the year, Five Bloods, written and directed by Spike Lee.
2: I, I need to go back and I and watch Five Bloods again. I think you were higher on it mm-hmm. than I was. I liked it okay, um, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I want to go back and reevaluate, not reevaluate. I want to watch Lindo's performance again, cause I thought it was good, but I want to see it again. And, you know, seeing Chadwick Boseman, cause I, I believe when it was released, he had not passed away yet.
1: That's correct. So when
2: you and I were watching it, you know, we appreciate, thought he was good, but you know, now watching it with that special you know, spoiler in the film, he's kind of a ghost like character. So it's going to yeah. kind of give it some interesting resonance. So I, I want to, Recheck that back out. Yeah,
1: it's it's a good film. And I think, you know, part of it too is we were we were comparing it back to Black Klansman, which mm-hmm. was the previous film from Spike Lee, which is really, really good. It was also, I think, one of my top five in the year it came out. So is this as good as Black Klansman? No, it's an it's a notch down from it, but it still holds enough interest to make it, you know, something I really want to go back and revisit and and really hold in high regard for the year. So sure. Defy Bloods by Spike Lee. Chris, what is your number four? So my number four film, I
2: don't know if it classifies as a foreign film or not. I think it is maybe from England. I'm not really sure. Um, but it is The Father and it's by Florian Zeller and it's based on a play and it basically tells the story of a man who's losing his memories. He's basically has Alzheimer's. It stars uh, Anthony Hopkins as mm-hmm. the father. His daughter is played by Olivia Coleman. And she is excellent as well. And basically, he just, you know, it shows him in his apartment. He refuses assistance from his daughter and how she tries to help him. And he tries to make sense of the changing circumstances that are going on that he sees from people coming in and out of his apartment. Who are they? How do they relate to him? And it's one of the things I can see, you know, sometimes we see things. That are plays like we've mm-hmm. reviewed um, fences that with Denzel Washington and then we didn't review it, but they did Mile Rainey's Bike Bottom, which was, you know, a play. And how do you translate that to the screen? Um, One Night Miami is something else that's come out this year that was translated to the screen that was based on a play. And sometimes things can suffer from being like, you're just like, oh yeah, that just seems like a play. It's really stagey, a bunch of people just talking. There's not enough camera action to really make it cinematic, to make it Mm -hmm. worthwhile seeing a movie. Might as well go on to see it in theater um, or on stage. So with this one, it's really interesting because the way they use the camera, and I don't know how they do it on the stage, but the way they use the camera, you are a lot of times with Anthony Hopkins and some of his confusion is your confusion because they mm. can have things happen off screen or when you go to a different room, things are like shifted or time can shift. And it's just, hmm. it's a wow. really fascinating but also kind of scary um, representation of what Alzheimer's for the person who's actually experiencing yeah, it must be like. So um, I found it really, really fascinating. Of course, Anthony Hopkins, duh, he does a good job. Mm-hmm. And Olivia Coleman as his daughter is also just just top notch. So can be kind of a tough watch. But Mm -hmm. actually, what made it not so much a tough watch was how innovative it was being and trying to show you his perspective. So Mm -hmm. that I mean, it was still heavy, but that kept it maybe a little bit more light on its feet. So it didn't get weighed down. So that's The Father by Florian Zeller. And I believe this one was or is hitting VOD also in February. So people will be able to see it. If you haven't already seen it there again, I was a critic. So I got a link, but um, it's wide release. I think in February, so.
1: I was a critic and got a link too, but did not see that one either. <laughs> so the father, okay. all right. Number four for Chris. Great. My number four, uh, we talked about it on the show and reviewed. It is the Wolf of Snow Creek by uh, Jim Cummings, uh, directed and starring Jim Cummings. I just I just had a fun time with this movie. I went in with little to no expectations. I like Jim Cummings in general as a as a filmmaker, mm-hmm. um, and I love the throwback feel of this film. I love the it being a creature feature to some degree, and, and and but using practical effects in many of the situations. I like the wry humor surrounding it. So to kind of flip flop between a very gruesome uh, or terrifying situation to a very human, humorous uh, slice of life perspective. I, I like the I like the the balance of the film and uh, it had you at moments chuckling to also kind of being very upset and, and disturbed by what was going on. And I like that. Any film that can pull off a nice balance and kind of still keep you engaged, I really admire. So, and again, I like Jim Cummings as a, both a performer and his eye as a director. And uh, I just had a really good time with it. I've seen this film a couple of times now, showed it to somebody else in my family just to get their reaction. And uh, immediately within the first 20 minutes, they're already saying, I really liked how classic horror this tries mm-hmm. to feel. And I'm like, yeah, they pull that off. It really does work. Does the mystery reveal at the end hold up as well? Yeah, It could have been a little better, but uh, not enough for me to slight the film and, and drop it off the list. So, yeah, number four, The Wolf of Snow Creek by Jim Cummings. And
2: that's why we do these wrap-up shows, because I like that film, but I'd totally forgotten about it. So you bringing it back up is it's nice, because it reminds me, it's one I would like to maybe, you know, at some point watch again. I do see him make comments all the time on Twitter that apparently he is actively working on a film despite COVID and everything. He's able to do things safely. He's like turned his garage into an editing Mm -hmm. room and all this kind of stuff. So we may see a new film from him Uh, in 2021. If nothing
1: else, I admire him as a filmmaker because I think he's very, he's a very passionate filmmaker. He's uh, very determined to Mm -hmm. get projects made and that's great. So uh, I'm, I was happy he made the Wolf of Snow Creek. Uh, But I'm also excited to see what he works on next. Absolutely. Great. What is your number three, Chris?
2: Okay. I'm really going independent here. This is a film not a lot of people are, you know, just like my other two. but This Mm -hmm. is even so, this is even like one step removed from that. So you may have heard of it, Alan, Soul... By Pete Doctor, starring mm. some guy called Jamie Fox and Tina Fey. Also, oh,
1: right, I've I've heard of those names on the indie <laughs> film circuit. So, so
2: no, thankfully, this is one that probably all you guys have heard of. Most of you've probably seen it. Did come on Disney Plus. I think it premiered Christmas Day. Um, but Soul. So Pete Doctor also did Inside Out. Now he's given a Soul. This talks about a middle school jazz teacher. And he kind of has this incident where his soul is removed from his body. And then he has to fight to kind of try to reunite himself so he can get his great jazz gig that he's always dreamed of. Meanwhile, he's trying to lead a soul in training in this like other world who uh, is her name is 22, but it's Tina Fey. (laughs) Um, And it's just an interesting just like Inside Out kind of gave you a otherworldly thing on like your feelings, you know, cause they were mm. all embodied by different personifications of your feelings. This one is all about like, Hey man, what's kind of life all about what happens kind of when you die, what makes life worthwhile? All those big, heavy questions. That, <laughs> good, you
1: know, good, yeah. good animated kids subject sure. matter. <laughs> <But> <laughs> so, it never,
2: right. it never yeah. gets too heavy. Yeah. Um, and I just really, and actually going in, I was a little skeptical because having seen the trailer, I was like, yeah, this is like inside out except you're dead or something. You know, it just didn't, I kind of already knew the premise going in. I didn't think it was going to be as rich an experience as it was. Hmm, great. And it uh, it wasn't a rich experience. It hit me harder than I thought it would. And it's uh, my number three movie of the year.
1: That's impressive. I, you and I have not discussed Soul. I have not seen it. Um, but it is on my top of my list to watch here soon. So glad to hear ringing recommendation from you on that. Uh, good. So number three was Soul from Pixar Disney slash Pixar uh, from Chris. All right. My number three, uh, we spoke about fairly recently. Um, it is the film sound of metal uh, by Darius martyr and starring Riz Ahmed. Um, this is another one that stuck with me quite a bit after watching. It's a very, very uh, low key film. It's a very, um, yeah, what's where I'm looking for? It's a, it's a very understated film, but any film that gets me to think about the protagonist and 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 try to put myself in their shoes and experience life the same way they're experiencing it uh, is always going to be a win in my book. And,
2: it's it's the type of thing where we I threw out Chloe out earlier and you know The writer. and mm-hmm. Land. Yes, that kind of slice of life, very realistic filmmaking. Yet it still has a story, and the characters just seem very authentic. And yeah. you know, Riz Ahmed's not really a punk rock drummer, but. but but yeah, but he I, plays a really good one in this does. film.
1: Absolutely. Uh, well, of course, for anybody not familiar, the the story is a you know a a drummer in a band who is fronted by his girlfriend. Um, at The time I don't know if they're married. I can't remember if they're married or not. But anyway, relationship wise, yeah. and he starts to lose his hearing, which uh, he's bound and determined not to let that derail his career. But yet he uh, does find it to be very challenging to perform, and ends up actually going to live at a facility, a home for people that are hearing impaired, and he has to try to acclimate himself to that environment while also fighting off some of his own personal desires to get back on the road. Um, There's a supporting performance, and I apologize, I don't have the actor's name in front of me, but playing the, the, the head of this home, uh, that we talked about during our review. Paul
2: Racy. Yes, yeah.
1: that's it. Such a good performance there. Um so good. And just again, it just it works because you you totally feel yourself in this main character. You they they play with sound design in a way that you kind of hear what he's hearing at times. And that's exactly what, you know, you're needing to be put yourself in that that person's shoes. And uh I just really, really appreciated the film quite a bit. So that Sound of Metal, that is my number three pick of 2020. And Riz Ahmed is one of my top performances for the year as well. I just really like his performance in this film. He's someone I've always liked. Rogue One, uh, he did a film, a series on HBO that he was really good in, The Night Of. Um, but this, this is probably the best I've seen him perform, and it worked. It, it was transparent. I, I, I really believed who he was. In the, the dilemma he was facing the entire film, so okay. uh, that is Sound of Metal.
2: So, for my number two, um, I actually mentioned this on a previous show two or three shows ago. Maybe it's my recommendation. Um, the title of the film is Poop House, but if you replace poop with an expletive that people yes. normally say, <laughs> trying to keep it clean, um, we talked a little bit about the film on uh, that recommendation show, but just to recap. It's a lonely college freshman. Alex has closed himself off from his peers who all appear to have this whole college thing figured out, but everything changes one night when Alex takes a leap and attends a party at the titular poop house, (laughs) a legendary party fraternity where he makes a strong connection with Maggie. And then they kind of have this like um, Richard Link letter kind of like, you know, before sunset type experience where, Mm -hmm. you know, they walk around and talk, but it, that being said, it felt totally original to me. I mean, you've seen things like this before, like college, coming-of-age type things, usually in high school. But still, it's it was fresh. And it's because I think the writer-director was also the lead star. Cooper Rafe plays Alex. And it was a big hit at Sundance. I think, ideally, it would have actually come out in theaters, maybe had a little bit of a release, kind of like Booksmart did. Yeah. But it it didn't happen. Um so it is available. you can watch it you know through your usual sources, iTunes, all that kind of thing. Um, but I recommend it how people felt about Booksmart or how people really were strong responded strongly to Ladybird, this is kind of my Booksmart or mm. this is my ladybird. I really, really responded to it and really liked it. so, Poop house,
1: poop house is my number, number two. two. Yeah, and again, we're just keeping it clean keeping it for clean. all the for all the families that's listening right. at home right now. So, okay, so that's your number two with poop house. <laughs> my number two, uh, I think which, we,
2: which you know, it would be mm, fun to say it with the expletive, but it's actually kind of fun to say poop house.
1: No, no, poop house works. <laughs> I think I'm okay with that. Our um, number, number two, I think we actually discussed this film maybe in our very last episode. Um, it is the film Another Round. Uh, directed by Thomas Vinterberg and starring Mads Mikkelsen. Uh, I, kind of a quick repeat. I know we just talked about it in the last episode, but you have a, a school teacher who is finding his himself to become very boring in his life. He feels like he just doesn't have quite the passion or energy towards anything that he used to have, and so he and his friends, who are, find themselves in a very similar situation, decide to embark on an experiment where they're going to drink every day. Just enough to glide through the day with a little bit of intoxication, but not enough to be dangerous and see how that improves their life. And for a short period of time, it does improve things. And then it doesn't when, when it goes a little, little off the rails. But um, this performance, Mads Mickelson I've always found him a very interesting actor. And I've really, really enjoyed watching him explore some different sides of his acting persona, uh, during this film. Um, the ending sequence is one of my, one of my favorite sequences of film this year. Uh, his, his dance performance at the end of the film. Um, it's a funny it's a film that had some great humor and, but also balanced it with some really good, interesting questions about getting old and, uh, about, uh, uh, kind of uh, reshaping your life and what's necessary to do that. And should you do it? And um, also a lot about friendship too. I think the, the the friendship that these four people had and the impact they had on one another was also really impressive to see. So I am starting to really, really like anything Thomas Vinderberg's doing because I think we talked about his filmography and of the films we've seen, I really have liked them quite a bit. So anxious to see what he works on next. But in the meantime, Another Round by Mads Mikkelsen is one that I'm a big fan of. And I'm so happy we brought it to our Foot Candle Film Society membership in the last month. And I'm hoping a lot of our members got a chance to see it. So
2: So now we're at the point where we have – we reveal our number one film. Yeah. I am hoping (laughs) – that Alan has this film as his number one because he hasn't mentioned it. And I could cannot believe it wouldn't be his in his top five mm-hmm. uh, it's, uh, promising young woman. Yep. Yes. That's Yay. it. So we have a
1: shared number one film for the year.
2: That's awesome. For
1: anybody who listened to our glowing review of the film, this should not come as a shock, no. but um, it is my number one. Please tell us about it, Chris. Well,
2: you know, you mentioned how the five bloods you saw it and it just kind of stuck with you. So, you know, I guess it could be a little bit of recency bias for Promising Young Woman, because this is one of the last films I saw in 2020. Um, It was released in theaters. I saw it here again through a boring critics link, but in theaters December 25th, but it is now available also online. So, you know, you can watch it VOD now. Um, But it just, I knew nothing about it. I knew Carrie Mulligan was in it. And for it to be such a, you know, such a gut punch. This is what, you know, cinema is about. You know, you kind of go in, you just are like, okay, I'm ready to pay my money. I'm ready to see, you know, I'm ready to see what this director has to say. And the director had a lot to say. Yeah. And the performances were good. And, you know, a movie is only as good as its opening scene. Or a movie is only as good as its closing scene this movie had a really good opening scene and a really good closing scene. Um, And
1: some really good scenes in the middle. too. Sure.
2: Sure. But you know, (laughs) it's like, you know, if you can just, how do you choose to open your movie? What's going to be the image that you're going to show Mm -hmm. somebody right off? And then, you know, how do you close it? How do you end it? And what do people walk out of the theater remembering? But yeah, it has to have some good, you know, connectivity in between. And it did. Um, And just, you know, some surprises along the way, turns that were taken that I didn't quite expect. Um, and yeah, it just, all that said, it, it, I keep thinking about this movie, maybe yeah. not once a day, but definitely about every other day.
1: <laughs> so. Well, just as a reminder. So basic plot line here is Cassie a young woman. Um, basically she entices men. I, I'm going to keep this really high level at the beginning, sure. but she entices men out at bars or clubs, uh, to pick her up so that she can basically, uh, uh, torment them to some degree with their choices to prey on young intoxicated women at these places that is the through line of the film uh it does take some twists and turns from that point on but that's the overall premise played by carrie mulligan which great performance really enjoy this it's probably my favorite uh along with riz ahmed this is also one of my favorite performances of the year um yeah i completely agree with you it's I don't want to say by far, but it's, there's a gap between even my number one and number two, how much I really like yeah. this film. And, uh, so it's, it's definitely up there for me. Um, and I, again, even though Carrie Mulligan, I think is really, it's her film, all the other supporting actors and actors uh, have some great roles to chew on as well. Sure. So I really have a good time with it. Um, Bo Burnham as her kind of love interest, uh, for part of the film, um, normally known as a comedian. And also he's been a director himself. He, uh, gets to let the comedic side shine for a while. And then there's also some range. He has to play as well too. Um, I think I mentioned during our review that, um, this is my other favorite dance moment, scene yeah. sequence of a film, uh, kind of a, a pharmacy, uh, pharmacy dance and sing along to a Paris Hilton song, mm-hmm. which, um, uh, Yes. Has that song played on my phone in my car uh, recently uh, since seeing this film? Yes, it has. (laughs) And did my kids see that I was playing a song by Paris Hilton and wonder what's wrong with dad? Yes, (laughs) that did happen. So, but I'm not ashamed to admit it. Um, The film, the song's catchy when you think about it in the use of the film. And uh, it just so many great moments in this film. And I agree with you opening, closing, completely nailed it. So uh, really enjoyed it. And And a lot to say, too. There's a lot to digest in this film. The
2: other thing, too, is, you know, as people can know from my years past, you know, top five movies. Okay, granted, the year I gave Lego movie my number one movie, maybe not a controversial movie, so to speak. Um, But a lot of times the films that kind of reach out and appeal to me because I see so many are ones that can be either you love it or hate it mm-hmm. because you know, people, I can see people really hating this film because mm-hmm. they thought it was a manipulative or something. Sure. But to get a reaction and this film is one that, yeah, it made me kind of sit up and be like, okay, something's going on here. They're really, you know, something's they're trying for something here and it, and it's working. Um, so yeah, promising young woman, strong number one there.
1: Well, that made my job easy. I just uh, say ditto because <laughs> yes, that was my number one as well. So that was our top fives of 2020. I had uh, Promising Young Woman, Another Round, Sound of Metal, The Wolf of Snow Creek, and The Five Bloods. Chris had Promising Young Woman, Poop House, <laughs> Soul, The Father, and Nomad Land. Mm-hmm. Now, Chris, there's a lot of films I saw this year that were still really good. Sure. And I, I kind of want to give some honorable mentions. Do you have some as well to share? I do. Um, I'll, I'll say that. Sure. Another
2: Round. Was okay. uh, it falls right in kind of my number six slot. Um, rounding out the list for me were Sputnik, which is a science fiction film that came from Russia. Uh, the Nest, which we didn't review on the show, but uh, Jude Law is in that and he's really good. Um, Emma, which we did review on the mm-hmm. show a long time ago. Oh yes, um, starring uh, Anna Taylor Joy pre her uh, Queen's Gambit days. <laughs> that was a
1: twenty twenty film. You're right. It wow, was so That's long ago, long a long year.
2: And then I guess this is kind of my closing of an era um, pick here, but it was also very much cinematic comfort food was uh, the trip to Greece. All right. So mm-hmm. yeah, I really liked good. that film.
1: So my, uh, my, my, my honorable mentions, my six through 10 are very eclectic, which i like. That's good. um, extraordinary, oh, uh, wow. Maeve Higgins, Barry Ward and Will Forte in a, uh, ghost and seances and possession film, comedy film.
2: I I may have to reevaluate my six through 10 I, because I forgot how much we liked it. That is the like
1: most that. I've laughed in a film in quite a while, like oh, yeah. burst out laughing in some scenes and uh, it was just great. So I had such a good time with that film. Hmm. Um, Boy State, the documentary that we discussed about the uh, young men in Texas going to a uh, basically a political camp. We're learning how to run political campaigns. And uh, to me, the timing of it was very interesting, obviously, leading up to the election year that we ran last year. And I just think it was very well done. And it did exactly what a good documentary does and just gets you really connected with the characters and um, shows all sides. But I I think ended a little unexpectedly, which was great as well. So uh, I liked it a lot. Boy State. Um, (laughs) I'm thinking of ending things. The Charlie Kaufman film. I know we struggled with it and I know we had some kind of some difficulty, but it's actually one that has grown in my estimation since seeing it because the more I've thought about it, the more I've read into it, there's a lot more going on. Mm-hmm. Did they make it, did he make it almost too oblique? Yes. I do feel like it's a little too inaccessible for it to be in a top five for me this year. Okay. Like I was kind of hoping it would be when it was announced, but I still like it. I still think it's a really well-made film has a lot, going on um i just wish it was a little more accessible for it to rise in my esteem this year um the uh the personal history of david copperfield i had a good time with this movie it was a a big it was probably my uh, runner-up surprise movie for the year Okay, just because i had such a good time with it. it was fun i did not expect to enjoy a film about the story of david copperfield but yet um uh, but yet, uh, uh, shoot! Oh, I'm drawing a blank. Oh, Dev Fattel, yeah, sure, uh, in the lead role, really gave it his, him, it gave it his all. The level of humor infused in the film, and the kind of the breaking the fourth wall, and just, I don't know, it just worked for me. So I really had a good time with it. And then the last one I'll mention on my six through ten. <laughs> is the film The Rental? Do you remember this? Dave Franco's little slasher horror film? Wow. I liked it. I don't know. It, it just, uh, it worked for me. Dan Stevens, Alison Brie, directed by Dave Franco. I don't I, know. I was definitely, kind
2: of... I was definitely a lot harsher on that. Oh, oh yeah,
1: you were. I liked it a lot. I just <laughs> thought it was a, wow. I thought it was just a fun, simple kind of horror slasher movie. Hmm. And it just worked for me. And I love the, the slow buildup of the film and, I don't know. It just uh, it's sneaking into my top ten. So I'm surpri- I'm just as surprised as you are, but um, <laughs> it's there. So Ooh. yeah. So that was my six through ten, and uh, overall, kind of an eclectic mix of films we had between the two of us I would here. Say so soon, it's yeah. nice to see. It's good. Couple of films I was kind of surprised to not hear make it on the top ten for either of us. Um, Palm Springs, you know, that one was in consideration for me, but didn't quite make the cut. See,
2: that's one that is probably falls into why you didn't had kind of forgotten about Emma maybe. Yeah. Cause like Emma for me was kind of like what you were talking about, the David Copperfield. It was, mm-hmm. it could be, it's not one of my surprises, but it easily could have been cause I was like, Oh dear, a period piece. And then I really liked it. Yeah. Um, so, but it's recency bias. And I think that's why like, I'd forgotten extraordinary. If I'd have reevaluated, like I think that would be higher on my list. Palm Springs. I only saw it once. I did like it. But I think if I would have reevaluated or seen it again, I think I probably would have maybe considered yeah. it.
1: And I will say too, I did catch up with the documentary. I know you've seen uh, Dick Johnson is Dead, mm. which I did like quite a bit. Okay. Um, I did think that was a really inventive, uh, very very well made documentary. Um, not quite my top ten, but it was definitely one I was considering.
2: Well, you know, here again, I take the I take my job here at Foot Candle Films very seriously we
1: know this about you so
2: i actually had dick johnson is dead as well as something else that i'll mention here in a moment and i took it out because i said you know what i just in my mind i can't put documentaries and narratives together so i'd have Hmm. to like form a separate list of top 10 documentaries and a separate just because like i don't know something about it like i know you Boy State, very good but like trying to rank that with other things that are like narrative. I just couldn't in my mind. So I would have to do it. But yes, definitely Dick Johnson is dead. Good film as well as boy state. The one you mentioned.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, that is our top five slash 10 of 2020. (laughs) Uh, We do have a couple of just categories that we like to pick out just a film in and kind of to wrap up this 2020 uh, year in review. First up is our biggest disappointment. So this doesn't necessarily mean the worst film we saw, Chris. This is truly our disappointment, one that did not live up to expectations or really missed the mark in what it was trying to trying to do. Chris, what is your biggest disappointment for 2020?
2: Uh, we did not discuss it on the show, but I think I mentioned it. And I don't know if Alan has seen this yet. Um, Tenet, Christopher Nolan's Tenet. Uh, I actually did get to see it in a theater before. Um, and so it wasn't that I had to watch it on a small screen at home. That didn't hamper it. Something about it to me just felt like inception re redone, like warmed over. Mm-hmm. Um, the acting was good. The, the effects are pretty amazing. Um, some of the timing things they do, um, with like traveling back and forth in time, the things, you know, impressive. Um, that, you know, John David Washington, Robert Patton said, oh, yeah, good, but it just somehow fell short in my mind of being what I expected from a Christopher Nolan film. Hmm. Granted, you know, yes, was there a lot of buildup for this film? Of course it was a Christopher Nolan film. He's one of my, you know, one of the top directors that I really like. And I would say out of his filmography, this is probably my least favorite Christopher Nolan film. Hmm. So it qualifies as my biggest disappointment.
1: That would qualify as your biggest disappointment. Yes. All right. Well, that makes sense. Um, my d- biggest disappointment, we just talked about in the last episode, it's Wonder Woman 1984. I, I, I see that. I, I even think I, even in my review last time we got together, said this is probably one of my biggest disappointments. Okay. Just to have such a great initial film. Um You've got the right time period now. You've got great uh, villains to mix in there. You just, you got the same director with Patty Jenkins. I mean, everything should have worked with this film and I would have been okay if it was just a mediocre passable film where I felt like there was just like some good solid entertainment, but nothing, it doesn't have to elevate the first movie. This one actually brings it down some for me. And that's, what's disappointing is that you've got some great performances. You got some great people around uh, in front of the camera um so much to build from and I feel like they just lost sight of what they did in the first movie to where this one became uh became another one of those uh, uh kind of schlocky CGI uh, kind of confusing uh over the top superhero pieces that I just get really bored with so that was my biggest disappointment. I will say it's a slightly like a smaller scale I even hate pulling this film out <laughs> okay but I will say, On a smaller scale disappointment, the film, I think you share this with me, the film On the Rocks, just because of the pedigree involved with everybody involved in it, to kind of come together, A24 doing their first film that went to Apple TV, you got Bill Murray, you've got, um, you know, Sofia Coppola directing uh, Rashida Jones, I mean, some great talent And it just kind of just limped along. I just didn't feel like it got much out of it at all. Uh,
2: Yeah. So that'll be a tie for me for biggest disappointment because Tenet, but then yeah, on the rocks. Just, yeah, just really nothing. It's not that it was a
1: bad film. It was a fine, okay film. Just, you know, just it should not have been these these people's next film, (laughs) you know, I guess is what I'm looking for. So Um, so that was a disappointment as well. But let's end on a positive, Chris. What's your biggest surprise of the year, meaning uh does not have to be your favorite film? Just what is this film that really surprised you more than others this year
2: so i I have a tie mm-hmm. um, we've already talked about Emma, so that would be that would be my first okay. period drama that it was a comedy, but it would just surprise me how well I liked it yeah um but my other is a documentary and it's called Collective by Alexander Nanau, I think is mm-hmm. maybe how you say his name. But um, basically, uh, the director follows a team of investigators from a newspaper, oddly enough, a Romanian newspaper. Oddly enough, it's a sports newspaper. But hmm. they kind of get in, not over their heads because they handle it, but they kind of uncover the truth about this healthcare fraud that's going on in uh, Romania that um, benefits politicians and moguls and cause the death of innocent citizens. And it all kind of comes about because there was this fire that happened at a club and where precautions have been taken, regulations were kind of passed over, and then it just, unfortunately, it snowballs from there and things just get worse and worse and worse and you cannot believe the levels of corruption. But these journalists just do not let go. And um, despite the heavy subject matter, there is some uplifting things that, come out of it so uh hmm. collective i believe oh, wow. i believe it can be streamed now um i didn't don't think it came to theaters it is you know subtitled because it's uh, a documentary from another country but uh can't recommend it enough collective
1: wow that is a new one on me i'm not familiar with that one at all so nice it's added to the list um i've got two biggest surprises well kind of tied okay. one of them um the invisible man okay which i think was uh the last film you said you saw in a movie yes. theater, mm-hmm. uh, mainly, it's a surprise for me because it's not a film that should have been good. I mean, it, it's <laughs> I you, you know, it's Universal's been trying to reboot their their classic uh, horror characters for many many years, and it's been like to really poor results. They did like a Dracula movie years ago that was supposedly pretty bad. They did the Mummy with Tom Which Cruise. All those, defended. I defended. <laughs> Because I think it got trashed way too much uh, unfairly, but it's still not a great movie at all. It's still pretty, pretty, pretty lackluster. Um, so they've just battled to try to figure out how do we take these great, this great uh, intellectual property we own and turn it into something film series-wise. And I think here with The Invisible Man, they figured it out. Fight the norm go completely a different direction with the story, use the same concept of a character, but we can totally rework it and not have to worry about hearkening back to more of the classic feel of these things. And that's what The Invisible Man is. is a very contemporary told story. Elizabeth Moss, I think, pretty much elevates anything she's in anyway. Sure. And I think adding her was a really, really smart move to give somebody with some great acting cred and put her in a role like this where she has to play both a strong character and also someone who just gets broken down you know quite a bit too. She played them both and she did mm-hmm. it. So uh I had a good time with The Invisible Man more than I felt like I probably would have given uh, in the hands of somebody else uh, both in the lead performance and direction of it. Uh and then also <laughs> I'm going to say it the Ben Affleck movie The Way Back I wow. was a surprise because again I'm not a Ben Affleck fan. I do not think he's a good actor. I'm sorry. But uh, I think he's a better director than he is an actor. Okay. Um, did he? And did he? He didn't direct. No, way he did back not direct there. this. Um, and that was what got me worried. Is I'm like, oh, you know, here it's going to be a sports cliche movie with Ben Affleck as a alcoholic high school uh, basketball coach. Now I love my basketball sports movies. Don't get me wrong. I'm one of the biggest fans of the film Hoosiers you'll ever meet. <laughs> so I was nervous about seeing Ben Affleck, who I don't really care to watch on screen as much. Uh, try to play this part. But you know what? It kind of worked. It actually worked better than I expected. It fought against some of the cliches of sport films that I think you come to expect. Mm-hmm. The fact that like one of the biggest, the first big games that we see, we don't even see the game. You just see a title at the end saying, Bep, they lost. <laughs> it's like, okay. that. in other words, they're saying, you know, what's happening on the court is not as important as what's happening off the court. So let's focus on that. And they did a pretty good job of it. It's not one of my favorite films of the year, but compared to what I expected going into it, it was a, it was a nice surprise.
2: I, yeah. I think I was actually surprised too. Cause it could have done some more Hollywood things and it didn't.
1: It so, didn't. Yeah, it actually played surprising. things pretty realistic. Uh, it, it didn't shy away from the, the, the alcoholism that was kind of being um, uh, addressed in the film and some of uh, the, the main characters own personal issues. Uh, I think it took them on head on and made a pretty realistic film out of it all. So I, I liked it quite a bit. Um Okay, Chris, well, that's that's 2020. Not too bad. So, I mean, we had some really good films. We had a few mm-hmm. that didn't quite work for us. And uh, that is it. We can now put a button on 2020, except for when we get to my recommendation. Then I will have to harken back to 2020 just for a minute. Sure. And but, at
2: some point, we'll do Oscar talk, but we'll wait a Oh, long that's
1: long. true. I forgot about the Oscars. Sure. Yeah, we will need to do that too. <laughs> but let's take a quick break. When we come back, Chris and I will have some movie news items to share with you. And we also close out the show with our recommendation for the episode. So stay tuned. You're listening to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh TV. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com.
2: Jackson Creative, we tell your story.
1: Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh TV. Chris and Alan here with you. We just finished in the first half of the show giving our top 10 of 2020 along with uh, some surprises and disappointments as well. But Chris, let's look to the future. Let's look to things upcoming Okay. as we are in 2021 now. Yes. You have a couple of news items you're wanting to share with us. So I'd love to hear what's on your mind, what's happening in the world of movie making right now.
2: So Darren Aronofsky.
1: I'm familiar with him. He
2: who gave us Mother. He knows, Mother! Yes. Yeah. He now has his next film ready. It is going to be an adaptation from an award-winning playwright. And it's going to be an adaptation of The Whale. Okay. okay. It is a story about a man with compulsive eating disorder. Okay. Starring in this film will be one Brendan Fraser.
1: Oh, wow. Yes.
2: Yes. Yes. Hmm. Um, I had seen Brendan Fraser recently. He's in a series that's on HBO Max, Doom Patrol. Doom Patrol, yep. Alternate superhero thing. But Mm -hmm. other than that, he'd kind of fallen off my radar. So, um, Alan, what are your thoughts about Brendan Fraser in a Darren Aronofsky film?
1: I'm super intrigued. I mean, I, I had heard a little bit about Aronofsky's next project, but I did not. Did not know what it was going to be, and did not know it was going to be with Brandon Fraser, which I think is great. I think Brandon Fraser is one of those actors that he got so typecast and so settled into a certain kind of role back in the eight, back in the nineties, mm-hmm. early two thousands. Sure, uh, they tried so hard to make him an action movie hero with the Mummy series and a couple others, and I mean, hit or miss there. And then just kind of disappeared. And I love it when they can bring back some actors. And let him play against against the type that they're used to. So if he's not going to be a romantic lead and he's not going to be an action movie hero, then I'm all for it. Show me what you can do. So, so
2: a little bit more. They've given a little bit more details on the plot. The film is supposed to center on a reclusive English teacher, played by Mr. Frazier, suffering from severe obesity who attempts to reconnect with his estranged teenage daughter for one last chance at redemption. Scares me a little bit because it kind of sounds a little bit like the wrestler, except you know that mm-hmm. was a kind of faded wrestling star person trying to reconnect. But um, still, it's Aronofsky. I'm curious to see a resurgence of Brendan Fraser because I think he does have acting skills. Oh, absolutely! So, and it's no, based, he's... it's based on a play, so that's like you know there's a lot of original material to work with there. So I'm curious.
1: Well, so I've actually heard Aronofsky's name quite a bit lately because I believe he's actually a producer of uh some shows that are coming to apple tv like some kind of documentary style series i think he's doing one with oh my gosh um, please excuse me if i'm wrong on this and feel free to write in and tell me (laughs) if i'm incorrect but i think there's a series he's doing with will smith oh where it's like will smith is like visiting all these really uh, traveling to some really exotic locations and doing some, some feats and some other, hmm. I don't know. It, it was an odd thing, but I'm pretty sure Darren Aronofsky is either the producer or maybe he shot some of them or something, interesting. but uh, yeah, we'll need to kind of check on that because I, I, I definitely have read about that. And I think it's, I, I remember when his name was attached, I'm like, that's an interesting project for him to be a part of, but I am really excited to hear about the whale. That sounds like a really interesting project. So, Hmm. I was a huge fan of The Wrestler. Loved that film. Hmm. And uh, if he kind of goes to that kind of angle of a very, very realistic with kind of the whole actor with Mickey Rourke, you know, taking an actor who was kind of typecast as one thing and playing him against type. I'm all for that. So great. You had a second news item, right? Yes.
2: Yes. Okay. So. Aaron Sorkin, he did do um, Trial of Chicago 7 this year. Yes. Uh, he's already announced what his next film is going to be. It's going to be a, I guess, biopic of sorts, being The Ricardos, where he tells about Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. He's going to write and direct the film, supposedly for, like, Amazon Studios. And Nicole Kidman is going to play Lucille Ball and Javier Bardem is going to play Desi Arnaz. So, Alan, thoughts?
1: Yeah, I've 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 heard about this. Okay, and there's a lot of internet chatter yes. about Miss Kidman in the role of Lucille Ball. Yes, um, I'll admit I don't see it, but again, that's what kind of intrigues me about the project is I want to see them pull this see, off.
2: I mean, other than the fact you know dye her hair red, I can see her kind of. Can you? Yeah. Okay. I think, and I'm trying to think what comedic performance I've seen her do. Maybe it's not Moulin Rouge because she kind of does, but I, I don't know. I I can see
1: it. Did you ever? Have you seen The Prom? No. Okay, I have not. So she's comedic in that, okay. and then I guess she could even go back all the way to, um, oh gosh, what was the film she did? Uh, Gus Van Sant.
2: Was To Die For?
1: Yeah, To Die For. Okay, I mean, that had a little bit of a yeah comedy over the topness to it. So um, I could
2: see her. I mean, I know I know people. I don't know. I could see her pulling it
1: off. All right. I was kind of curious. I I really thought when I heard about this project, I'm like, well, they're going to get an Emma stone or something like that, who I think can pull off the physical comedy. We've seen her do that kind of bigger performance. Uh, Nicole Kidman I'm intrigued by, but I'm intrigued because I'm, I'm like, yeah, I want to see him. I want to see him do it. So, uh, but I think Aaron Sorkin doing it too. his love of Hollywood and the Mm. making of movies and films. He's done so much. Uh, did you ever see that TV show he did? It was a short lived show. Um, uh studio Yes. Studio sixty on the Sunset, sunset strip, strip. Yes. Which I really liked. Did not last very long. A lot yeah. of people thought it was a little too over overdone by Mr. Sorkin. I liked it a lot, but it's very clear his love for Hollywood and the behind the scenes of making entertainment. So I'm excited to see him him do this.
2: And that's what I think, you know, it it does have a lot of behind the scenes mm. like the public life that they led on the TV show, as opposed to what was going on in their personal lives, which is right?
1: always really exciting for me. Yeah. So I love I, that.
2: I don't, when I think, you know, if you think comedic timing and stuff, I don't really think of Javier Bardem. I think he's a great actor. So it'd inter- be interesting to see him do something a little, a little lighter.
1: I, well, I think lighter. Of, I
2: think of him as no country for old men, but
1: keep in mind when we say lighter, we're saying dark. lighter in front of the camera, true. whether or not it's light behind the camera That's is going to be that because they the, did the have yeah, yeah
2: things going on. Sure. Yeah.
1: All right. Interesting. Great. Um, two really exciting projects with a lot of acclaimed directors and prestige behind them. They could be ones going for <laughs> awards come 2021 Oscars. We will wait to see. I've got to bring up a film there, Chris, that uh, it will be up for awards at the end of 2021. It may be the Alan Jackson Hall of Fame favorite movies of the year, wow. but uh, that may be the only award it qualifies for. <laughs> but I'm still... So super excited. Chris, you know me. Yes. I like uh big monster movies. Yes. Where you have big creatures stomping through a city. Uh, I that's I just love that. That is my thing. And I was a big fan of the Godzilla reboot that was done a few years ago that had Brian Cranston and uh Oh, what was the other guy's name? Shoot. I don't. Remember. I already forgot it. That's not a good sign. But anyway, uh, but it's
2: all about the monster stomping through the city. That's right. Sorry. And I
1: actually, I was a fan uh, to some degree of Kong Skull Island. It wasn't perfect, but it was entertaining um, as well. And lo and behold, coming to HBO Max here in the next uh, couple months, as well as theaters for anybody who ventures to go out. And this, if it was later in the year, this may be the one that would get me to go out because I can't imagine watching this on my home TV and getting the same, uh, same feeling of it is Godzilla versus Kong. They released a trailer just this past weekend, Chris. I have not seen it. Oh my gosh. The ridiculousness, but I love it. Of this trailer is just so ready for me right now. So um, it's exactly what it's marketed as. It is King Kong versus Godzilla. The last time this happened, I think was back in the 70s, they made a film that was Godzilla versus King Kong. Oh, so they um,
2: haven't brought them together since
1: then. The not since then. It's okay. been at least 30 30 40 years wow. since that happened. And uh oh. This trailer. <laughs> now, I'll, I'll give him this. I, I am uh, I'm saying this in actual seriousness. Um Adam Wingard is the director who's done a lot of great horror films. Mm-hmm. He seems really pumped about this film. If you follow him on Twitter, he's really talking it up. The film looks gorgeous. Okay, the shots they show in the trailer, which look I really, thought Godzilla King of Monsters, a lot of the shots it were looks really, really good. But, I mean, this movie looks really good. Okay. And I'm sorry, but Chris, you have a trailer. <sighs> where King Kong is leaping towards Godzilla with Godzilla shooting out his fire plasma blast, whatever. And King Kong is deflecting it with what looks like a giant jet airplane or something. And it's just so awesome. <laughs> so, we have Alexander Skarsgård's in this film. Okay. Uh, and he hasn't been lead. in the other ones yet. No, he's okay. new to it. But he's Millie new. Bobby Brown is back in it okay. from the Godzilla movie. Uh, Rebecca Hall, who I think was in... The King Kong movie? No, I okay. think she was in the first Godzilla movie.
2: Okay.
1: She's back, okay. I believe. Uh, Brian Tari Henry is in this. Um, let's see. Who else do we have? Julian Dennison. Do you remember from uh, Hunt for the Wilder People and oh. uh, Deadpool 2? Oh, wow. okay. He is in it. Kyle Chandler's back uh, from the from Godzilla movies. The Monsters. Okay. Um, I don't know if anybody's from the Kong movie. Really? I know it's no uh, – we don't have – What's his name? Loki. Um,
2: oh, Hiddleston. Tom
1: Hiddleston, and we don't have Captain Marvel, Brie Larson. They're not back in it. Um, But you got most everybody else from the a couple of the other movies coming back together. So I don't know. I'm excited, man. I'm excited. I I'm trying to go in with tempered expectations because I got a feeling I could come out of this like I did the go- the last Godzilla movie and be a little disappointed. But
2: well, you know, like I mean. I mean, you'd think it's like, yeah, they hype it, they fight, and then the rest of the movie, they team up to fight something else. But I don't know.
1: So, can I go ahead and just throw this my prediction or something out there? Sure. I have nothing to base this on other than just watching the trailer eight or nine times now and seeing a <laughs> shot in there that has me ah, excited okay. and thinking I know what's going to be the bad thing in this film. Because,
2: okay, before you reveal, Godzilla, not a bad guy.
1: No, there's even a lie in the movie. Kyle Chandler actually says this in the trailer.
2: Oh, in the new trailer. In the new okay. trailer. Okay.
1: He even says at one point, Godzilla is going around hurting people and we don't know why. So that's a line in a, in a trailer. Okay. Um, and
2: King Kong, because I've only seen, I've saw Kong Skull Island, but I don't, he, I mean, he's not a bad guy
1: either. He's a decent guy. Okay. <laughs> So, I mean, did he eat some soldiers and all that? Sure, but I mean, he, he had his reasons for doing so. Okay. So, yes, I think they're trying the to position whole time both of these. They were
2: trying these. to capture him and take. So, of yeah. course, he's going to be mad.
1: They're okay. on his island. They're invading his space. <laughs> in a space. Um, Rebecca okay. Hall in the trailer also, I believe, says the line, "No one, uh, everyone will bow before Kong." Which you know, I love when you get some really great actors getting to say lines like this. It's so wow. much fun. Um there is a quick fleeting shot in the trailer. I am making a prediction based on nothing but my own visual eyes of what I see. I could swear I see the head of a Mecha Godzilla, metal robot Godzilla. If you recall from the old Godzilla movies, that's the big Godzilla that's actually a robot. If that is in this movie, <laughs> my head will explode, Chris, <laughs> right there in the in the theater. Poof. See, I thought
2: like in the Godzilla movie they they kind of the last one because they had the what
1: was the name yeah oh, yeah the the, the, three-headed the the three dragon. hydra yeah. um uh, gosh i already forgot the names but yes but mothra yeah. was in it yeah um, they had
2: mothra they had godzilla they had Gamora. The, uh, Gamorda? i can't remember yeah yeah, yeah. but yeah the three headed the right. three headed dragon so it's like i thought they kind of went through everything but they didn't do Mecha godzilla so maybe they did not
1: <laughs> but there is a shot in this trailer where it looks like there is a face coming across a building and it's meant to look like Godzilla. No, they, they
2: also did Rodan but, too. That's right. I just saw this movie with my son. Oh, yeah. so we're but it watch.
1: was a, it's a metal head. I swear to you, it is a metal looking head peering around the corner just for a split second. I'm like, oh, I know where they're going with this. So, <laughs> okay. Awesome. I'm, I'm back down again. So, all right, good deal. Godzilla versus Kong comes out March 26th on both HBO max and also in theaters where available. Okay, Chris, <laughs> I'm done. I'm sorry. I got I to gotta take a take a sip of water and just kind of relax <laughs> here for a moment. Fair enough. We are done with news. There's a lot of interesting projects that are still coming up in 2021, but we, uh, we don't know exactly when they'll be coming out. We will keep waiting, just like you started the show with the films that we're hoping to see in the theater this year. There's quite a few that we're waiting here. As soon as we know release dates and know if they're going to stick this time, we will certainly bring them back to the table and talk about them here on the show. But, Chris, let's end the show with our recommendations. Chris and I, every time we get together and record the show, we have to give out one recommendation of a film that we either recently just caught up with or one that uh, we just feel like has been overlooked, or we want to encourage more people to go out and seek. And, Chris, mine is actually going to be a a little bit of a rebuttal to you. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So – Oh,
2: I think I know which one (laughs) I think I know
1: which one so uh, you mentioned as your biggest disappointment film of the year was Mr. Nolan's, Christopher Nolan's Tenet. Yes. I'm here to say actually, I actually kind of liked it. Uh, I just caught up with it a few days ago, watched it last week. And I'll now I'll say actually this. Actually
2: kind of
1: liked it. Okay. I did. I have caveats. But um, I think the good news for me is that I'm watching it without – all the buildup and all the anticipation. And uh, I did not watch it in a movie theater. So it wasn't like my first time back in a movie theater. And I kind of wanted a good theatrical experience. I'm watching this as a, Oh, Hey, me and my, my son were looking for something to watch and Hey, I'll plunk down five bucks and rent this and see what it it is. And I had a good time with it. Now, did I understand half of it? No. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Not at all. I mean, I'm st- my my son and I. That is our ongoing thing now. Every time we pass each other in our house, mm-hmm. with stop and be Are like, "Are you walking
2: back?" Like, we're each like, "Yeah,
1: exactly." Okay. And we're stopping and being like, "Well, okay." But in this scene, was this happening? And it's like we're constantly trying to dissect it. We've already made an appointment to watch it again, ah. just to see if we can figure it out this time. Um, Is it okay? You mentioned it was your least favorite Christopher Nolan film. I agree. It is my least favorite Christopher Nolan film. It just so happens I like all of his films to some degree. So even saying it's his least, it's still a pretty good film for me. Um, Do I wish it was more accessible? Absolutely. Do I feel like they made it overly complicated, which took a lot of fun and enjoyment out of the movie? Yes. But the things I liked about it, I really liked John David Washington in his film. Mainly because it actually showed Christopher Nolan actually knows how to direct a playful character, someone who has a little bit more personality, because that's one thing about Nolan's films. His characters generally don't have a lot of range of personality. They're very, they're typically very focused characters, very kind of one note characters. And it works. Right. John David Washington as the protagonist, Actually it was kind of a I mean, I actually told uh my son after watching it, I would be happy watching a series of films about this character in kind of a new James Bond type oh. type series. Because okay. I like him. He's he's a little more laid back. He's already basically been through death in a way. True. So it's like, you know what? At this point, he just doesn't care. He's just gonna go and see if he can pull this off. And that's the kind of the mindset he's got the rest of the movie. And I love that. He he just seemed like I, I, all right. I'm gonna go try this and see if it works, and I love that side of his character. Uh, Robert Pattinson I thought was really good as kind of his teammate and questionable relationship that he has with the protagonist Neil. Elizabeth Dilbecky as Cat I liked a lot, and I, I've seen a lot of people kind of ragging on. Um, um, shit. Kenneth uh, yeah, Kenneth Branagh is the bad yeah. guy. Yeah. I thought he was Deservedly having a good, so. I thought he was having a good time with it. I thought it was chewing oh, I think the he, scenery. I think he was having
2: a good time to uh, the detriment of the film. But you
1: know. Now, you know, if you get me into the uh, technical nature of exactly what's happening in the film and how it all makes sense, no, I, I could not tell you anything. I basically about halfway through the film just kinda physically went up to my head, switched off my brain, and like, hmm. I'm just gonna watch the rest of this now. I'm done trying to figure it out.
2: Well they actually kind of allude to that. They're like you know, are you following me or something? Yeah, right. Like there's a doing...
1: lot of exposition going on yeah. in the film, and there's a lot of times where they're trying to stop and tell you what's happening. Right. It doesn't help. No. I think it actually makes it worse. <laughs> so, um, but I liked I liked the energy of the film. Uh, I like the way it ended. I just wish, I do wish that they had been a little more clear and cohesive about the way they got to their ending. Um, but yes, it is my least favorite uh, Nolan film, but. That still puts it as a recommendation for I me. Think,
2: I think one of the other things is uh, we reviewed Inception, which, you know, they're again throwing Inception in tenants' face, but we reviewed that on the show a long time ago when it came out. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of tenant has to do with, and a lot of Inception, if you're watching the film and the logic's not working for you, but you don't care. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. But if you're watching the film and not only is the logic, if it doesn't work for you and the logic doesn't work, then you're just like, oh, and it just completely take the train derails at that point. Yeah. And inception. I remember you mentioning, you had some like things that didn't quite work for you. And for me, I was like, no, it was just fabulous. I think it all makes sense. Same thing with like memento. You're yeah. like trying to figure out how his movie logic works. And I think that's why it was the biggest disappointment because for the first time in the Nolan, Nolan universe, His movie logic was not working. And I just no. the logic is really weak. I depend on him to die. I was like, Oh really? Really? Like, and so that's, I think that's why I was disappointed. But
1: if I, if I tried to forget that this was Christopher Nolan and just say, if this is just some run of the mill action movie director, making a movie, trying to do something creative and, and different, I'd probably be more forgiving and I agree. It, yeah. The logic if you, I really start to parse it out. I'm like, no, that doesn't make any sense <laughs> that that should not work this way at all. Right. But I still had just a good time. And again, from a uh, filmmaking technical side of things, some of the sequences and shots were really just fun to watch. So, um, I had a good time with it. Um, I am looking forward to watching it again. Of course, inception, I did not, like as much the first time I saw it, it is one that has grown with me that I've seen it three times now. And each time I realize it's so much better than I gave it credit for the first time. Gotcha. So Tenant, I think could also could stand to do that a little bit too. But, uh, I think unfortunately the problem with tenant is it just, it, it had a lot going against it. It did. It had a lot of expectations being the next Christopher Nolan movie. It was the one where he was bound and determined to release it in theaters, even though nobody was going to movie theaters. <laughs> um, so the people who did make it to the movie theater to seek out this film like, yeah. were kind of going in with a really high standard of Which what they were looking definitely
2: for. What I, was, what yeah. happened to
1: me. I think the better note is to watch it for $5 rental and just kick back and, and enjoy it and for what it is. So I, I did like Tenet. I liked it more than I expected it to. I held off watching Tenet for a long time based on some of the feedback I got. But gotcha. um, now I think it it's played to its favor for me to kind of be soured on a little bit before I watched it. So, gotcha. all right. What have you guys' recommendation?
2: So before I reveal the title, well, I'll go ahead and take it. it's called The 20th Century. Okay. Um, it's by, let me check out the director's name real quick. It is by director Matthew Rankin, and he also wrote it. Let me read you the description, Toronto, 1899, aspiring young politician, Mackenzie King dreams of becoming the prime minister of Canada, but he hesitates because he's in love with a British soldier who's no, he's in love with a French Canadian nurse who's in love with a British soldier. How's that that sound like a movie I'd really be on board with? No,
1: it doesn't sound like anything Chris would like.
2: Now, let me tell you what if. David Lynch teamed up with the kids in the hall and made a satire of Canadian politics that fit that description. Okay, well
1: that sounds a little bit more. Okay, that bit sounds more like a yeah. would yeah. Like. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: this movie is weird. Um okay. if you watched Greener Grass because we had a listener right in that I had recommended Greener Grass <laughs> on a podcast episode yes. and they were like, "Yeah, I usually like his recommendations, but that one was not for me." If you don't like Greener Grass, probably don't give 20th Century a try. Um but if a combination of David Lynch and Kids in the Hall sounds interesting to you. Yeah, Then um, this is in your wheelhouse. It's just a, it's a weird movie. It's a midnight type. Of, you would something if you went to a film fest or you like a midnight movie. This mm-hmm. definitely fits that bill. Hmm. It is not taking itself seriously. Um, it's just, it's bizarre, but it's funny. Um, yeah. And it's, it, but it is kind of an interesting satire on politics. In def- Canadian politics, I don't even know there are probably some jokes that I don't get because I'm not Canadian. Sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just bizarre. But Ooh. if you're looking for something different, uh, the 20th century and it's, you know, it's available, you know, iTunes, different movie platforms out there for VOD type things, but the
1: uh, 20th century, yeah, wow, the 20th century collective and the 20th century, two films <laughs> I knew nothing at all about. And before today's episode, thank you, Chris, sure. for bringing those two films to my attention. And with that, we're going to wrap up our show, our 2020 wrap-up, and our news and recommendations. Again, you can go back and listen to our top five and actually our top ten uh, for each of us for the whole year 2020, our biggest disappointments, our biggest surprises. Um, and then we also gave our some news items about a couple interesting projects coming up, uh, plus me with Godzilla versus Kong. Uh, don't even try to contact me on March 26th because I will not respond to any phone calls or emails. I am all locked in and ready. I'm Honestly, I just moved into a new house, and I'm trying to work on turning my den into a home theater. Mm-hmm. And since I don't know when I'm actually going to get to a real theater again, and uh, I have now penciled down my calendar and said I must have my home theater up and operational by March twenty six, two nice. 2021. So I have a Set date, a I have a date to make it work by. That's um, but then our recommendations of tenant for me and the 20th century for Chris uh, for this episode. So Chris, if somebody has some feedback questions, uh, wants to uh, make a strong uh, case for our 2020 revision list, uh, where should they go?
2: You can send an email to info at footcandle.org. You can also follow us on Twitter, at FootCandleFilm, and just you know, send us recommendations of movies we left out of our list or differing opinions you may have. Al and I are also on Letterboxd, where you can track what we're seeing, and sometimes we give little mini-reviews there. Do us a favor, if you like the show, give us a star rating, write a review, or share with friends in iTunes. It helps us reach new listeners. Uh, if iTunes isn't their bag, we're also on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, and PocketCast.
1: All right. So that is our show for today. Again, please uh, check it out. As Chris mentioned, all the different podcatchers, go back and listen to some old episodes, uh, especially uh, over 2020. Some of the films we got to see that uh, went straight to online. you know, definitely, that's one of the, if I had to bring a positive out of 2020 is we had a lot more films available to a much larger audience than we've typically had uh, because of the unfortunate uh, shutdown of a lot of the theaters. But as we go into 2021, uh, our fingers are crossed that movie theaters will will rise in prominence once again by the end of the year, and we will have some great films to go see. Uh so happy 2020 to every or 2021 to everyone, and we'll look forward to talking to everybody at the next episode. Take care.
2: See you in the ticket line. Socially distanced. Watch films.